Amen. How's everybody doing? Genesis 1, verse 1. We should know it off by heart now. In the beginning, God. Come on, one more. Go. God. <laughs> Say it like you believe it. In the beginning, God. That's good. In the beginning, God. I mean, I, I think I have to warm you up. Like when you start back after a few weeks break, I, like you, I, I'm just noticing some people are too quiet. How many know that God inhabits the praises of his people? Three of you. I said, how many know God inhabits? We're a Pentecostal church. We make noise here. It's okay. It's okay. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay to be noisy. It really is. He inhabits the praises of his people. Not our problems, not our issues. We may have issues. We may have problems. We've all got issues. Yes. But he inhabits our praises. So if you want God to sort out your problems, why not praise him? He'll inhabit that. So come on, stand up one more time. And I'm going to count to three. And we're going to praise him like you ain't praised him since 2020. I know it's been a tough year. Forget 2020. It's 2021. It really is. And so we're going to make some noise. I'm going to count three, two, one. And remember, when the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It's not saying that because we're giving God a pause. It's an act of worship. God commands it. He speaks to it. And so therefore, all we're doing is obeying that, which is, it's not Pastor Adam, oh, he just loves clapping and shouting. No, no, the Bible says it. See, Grace is already leaving. She's upset. I mean, the Bible says it. The Bible declares that that is something we should do. It's an act of worship. And we, I don't know about you, but I'm here today to worship him. I'm here today to praise him. I'm here today to give him glory. I'm here today to give him honor. So with everything within you, turn to the person next to you and go, watch me, I can praise better than you. I'm going to count to three. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on, give them some praise now. Give them some noise. Make some noise. Loosen yourself up. Hallelujah. Whatever you loose will be loose. In Jesus' name, we worship you. Come on. We worship and exalt you. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, turn to the person next to you and say, I needed that. To those watching online, just sit down now. Sit back on your couch and get ready for the word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. This is part three of our series, God is. With all that's going on in the world, with all that is changing, I have said I wanted to begin 2021 with that which does not. In the book of Malachi, as I said, if you're Italian, Malici, 3 verse 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Our circumstances may change, your circumstances may change, may be changing, but our circumstances never change God. Our circumstances, changing as they are, will never change who God is. Nothing created can change the Creator. In God, His nature, His attributes, His character, no change is possible. Whatever God is, the great A.W. Tozer said, whatever God is, He is infinitely. God is perfectly perfect, constantly Constant. 
And here's the thing, when you know who he is, who God is, it helps us better understand who we are. For we're made in his image, and so to understand him helps understand us, who we are in him. And that's what I want to do in this series. That's why I'm spending a bit of time. I don't want to rush over over this. That's why we're talking about week one, God is. Week two, God is. God is. God is. And then we will talk about, as we enter into February, you are. And so far, we've looked at five things. We've seen that God is, number one, eternal. God is eternal. Number two, God is all-present. Number three, God is all-knowing. He's a know-it-all. He knows it all. God is all-knowing. Number four, God is all powerful. And number five today, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 says this, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. God, our God, your God, the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, is sovereign. But what does that even mean? What does to be a sovereign God even mean? Because, because when we talk about the sovereignty of God, depending on your theological view, or your church tradition, or your church background, the sovereignty of God really can and does mean very, very different things to different people. And the church fathers over hundreds of years have constantly wrestled. And again, I want you to be aware, again, when we're praising God, when we are, are, are worshiping Him, understand today, this is not part of just something that that's last year or a latest fad. You've got to understand 2,000 years of history, thousands of years of history before that. When we, when we go into the waters of baptism, ancient history, it's an ancient, it's not something that we thought, oh, that'd be good. That'd be nice. No, this is ancient history. This is part from general, no, this not not started in America, by the way. Come on. Something birthed in the heart of the Middle East and in Israel, in the city of our God, where people would come by their thousands to dwell near the presence of God. Today, because of what Christ has done, we can dwell near to Him. And so we're not speaking of light things today. We're thinking of speaking of things that have changed history, that have, that have changed the world in which we live. Friends, I want to tell you, the world would be a very different place if it was not for Christ and His cross. A very different place. So when talking about the sovereignty of God, the church fathers over hundreds of years have constantly wrestled with and continue to wrestle theologically, philosophically, soteriologically, which is just a fancy word for the process of our salvation, by what means are we saved? How are we saved? And of course, this all culminates in the fiercely contested topic of God's sovereignty versus human responsibility. Where does one start and where does the, 
the other end. Are we, are we really free will beings or has God in his sovereign will already predetermined and decreed all things? Which one is it? How much is sovereign God and how much is free will man? Is the, is the future settled or is it partly open or both? If God knows I'll have scrambled eggs tomorrow, can I do anything different than what God already knows? And if he has already decreed that I will have scrambled eggs tomorrow, how can I be held responsible for that or anything that I do if he decreed it? It's a big question, the sovereignty of God. And over the course of the year, I definitely want to take some time to look at some of the theological and philosophical perspectives and, and, and doctrines, which again is a fancy word for teaching, as it is important for us to be aware and clear on what these, these things are, so at least we in some way understand the different schools of thought within the spectrum of mainstream Christianity. But for today, let's not worry about scrambled eggs. The dictionary definition of the word sovereign is this. A supreme ruler possessing supreme or ultimate power or authority. And I'm going to say here today, it is without question that God is the sovereign Lord of all. It is incontestable by the fact that he is our creator God. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in it. Everything belongs to God. Revivalist Vance Havner said this, and I love it. He said, the title deed to this world does not belong to dictators. The ownership papers, the ownership of this world, the, the title deed to this world does not belong to dictators, to communism, nor even to the devil, but to God. And I want to go down a little bit of a sidetrack here for a moment, and then we will come, come back. But the Bible tells us that we have an enemy. And no, it's not that lady at the bank who doesn't talk to you. The Bible tells us that we have an enemy. It is not that person at work who chews too loud at the smoko table. It's not even that person on Instagram or Facebook who has a different political view than you. The Bible says we have an enemy, and it tells us in Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says, for our struggle, and it is a struggle, it is a battle. In other versions, it talks about wrestling, our wrestle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against that person. Maybe I was talking before and you, suddenly you got somebody else who's sitting in this room and you thought, yeah, no, it's not them. Hopefully they're not sitting next to you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Here's what it's against. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That's who it's against. Don't forget it. The world wants us to pit us against each other. The world wants us to fight each other. Don't be fooled. That's not where the battle is. First Peter 5 verse 8, he says, be alert. Come on, we need to wake up. 
be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, there it is. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like, not is. He's like, he's imitating. He's, 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 I want to tell you, there's only one lion of Judah. Thank you for that. <laughs> Come on, if we're going to clap, let's clap. Right? <laughs> Amen. There's only one line of Judah. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him. Some of us, we, we, we need to get some resistance training. <laughs> we need to re- learn to resist it. We don't, oh, it's too tough. It's like the cake. You know, the cake's there. I'm going, I'm going to resist it, resist it. No, too late. It's gone. I tried. No, resist. Resist him, it says, standing firm and listen, the faith, not faith. People try to stand firm in faith. Oh, I'm just going to have faith. No, it's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the faith. What faith? The faith that was delivered to you by the apostles and the prophets. The faith that was delivered to you through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. That faith, that's what you should stand firm on. The fact that Christ died on the cross and atoned for your sin. That you can know that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. That you, that's that faith you hold on. That he's made an atonement for you. That he who knew no sin became sin for you. That you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And you can stand justified and sanctified because it's that faith. And if anyone else brings any other gospel to you, let him be accursed, the Bible said. This is the gospel that saves us. This is what we stand on and stand in. A righteousness that comes from God, not by men that we should boast, but from God. It says, resist them standing firm in the faith. And part of what I'm doing through this is teaching you what the faith is. It's not a feeling. And so it's important for you to understand some things that maybe, especially today, that I don't have the time to spell out in the depth that perhaps it deserves. But I want you to know as we go down this path and get ready to come back, I want you to know and understand that unlike God, your adversary, the devil, is not. We've been talking about what God is. Now I want to tell you what the devil is not. The devil is not eternal. God is eternal. The devil is not eternal. He had a beginning and he will have an end again. And a quick look at the book of Revelation will confirm it. The devil is not all present. The devil is not all-knowing. The devil is not all-powerful. He has a measure of power, but he is not all-powerful. And you're saying, well, why are you telling us this, Pastor? Because some Christians live as if he was. Some Christians live as if, oh, the devil's like the devil. And I'm not saying ignore it, but we need to get a biblical balance of our enemy and understand What's going on here? Our God is eternal. Our God, the devil is not. Our God is all-powerful. The devil is not. And although the devil has some power, the devil is still a finite creature and not the infinite self-existent good creator. Please understand. The spiritual battle going on is not between two equally 
powerful opposing forces, one for good, God, the other for evil, the devil. This is not Star Wars. Come on. The force is strong with this one. No, no, it's not Star Wars. I want you to understand that the Bible does not teach dualism. The Bible does not teach it. There is no dual. It is clear in Scripture that there is no dualism in the Bible. Here's just one example. Here's, and, and again, what is dualism? Dualism is like this, this, these two equal, this yin and yang thing going on and just doesn't teach it. In Mark chapter 3, verse, verse 11, records where Jesus has an account where he meets some, demo, some demons. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 11, it says, whenever they saw him, they fell down before him. That's almost a rap way back then. Whenever they saw him, they fell down before him, yeah. <laughs> whenever they saw the demons, they fell down before him. And listen, and cried out saying, you are the son of God. And so the sense is here that they fell down in what? In absolute submission. There wasn't no tussle going on. When they saw him, they fell down before him and they declared that he was the son of God. They had no illusion about their proper place. They knew who he was and rightly trembled with abject fear. There is no dualism in the Bible. The devil is not all powerful. What is he? He's a liar. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 44, when he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar. And listen, he is the father of lies. Who is he? He is a thief. John chapter 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But our God, come on, but our God, your God, the God of Scripture, the one in whom Acts 17 verse 28 tells us that we live and move and have our being. You've got to know and understand that our eternal, limitless, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign God has no equal. Well, that's a good place to go. Amen right there. Come on. I mean, he has no equal. Why don't we just give him some praise in the house for he is worthy. He is worthy of all praise. Hallelujah. Our God has no equal. In Isaiah 40, verse 12, it says this. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the oceans with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. Verse 18, to whom can you compare God? To whom can you compare God? There is no comparison. 
Verse 22, God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent for them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up to the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. You're looking for some new strength? You need a new touch? He's the God of the new thing. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Our God has no equal. Preacher G. Campbell Morgan said this. said, the fixed point in the universe, the unalterable fact is the throne of God. It's a done deal. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our King and He is our God. He is your King and He is your God. How does this help me today? Well, it it helps me in a number of ways. Number one, it reminds me. Again, and I've said it a couple of times, but I, I think in today's Christianity, we need to be reminded we are not the center of things. You are not the most important thing in God's universe. Just saying it. We spent years going, you're unique, your fingerprint, yeah, yeah. Your fingerprint's different, so is the other guy. You want to know who's unique? God. You want to know who says no other like him? God. And it reminds me today when we hear that God is sovereign, that, that he is over it all. He is, this is about him, not about us. Tap your neighbor and say, you need to hear that. (laughs) Some of you are not too sure. But it reminds us of those things. This is how it helps us today. It keeps us in perspective. Because sometimes we think the world revolves around me, and we're even taught that way. It's about you. What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough, and I want my share. Can't you see? No, can't see it. It reminds us of that. Also, it reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven. Your allegiance to a sovereign king and to his kingdom. And I want to tell you, this kingdom, we've got to understand, is not of this world. It's not of this world. This world, we're to be in it, but not... You can say it in the Bible. (laughs) It's well, we're to be in it and not what? Of it. 
We must live in this world, but we must never let this world live in us because a man caught up in this world is never going to be ready for the next. Just telling you. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship, your citizenship. I didn't write this. This is the Bible. I'm just reading the letter. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's where your passport is. And remember, this is reminding us not just of who you are, but whose you are. By birth, in this room, by birth, there are many of us here who are citizens of different countries, India, New Zealand, South Africa, Fiji, different nations. By birth, people are represented here in this this gathering and this ecclesia and this, 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 this called out group of people. There are citizens by birth from many different nations. But by adoption and by new birth, you are citizens of the kingdom of God. Citizens of heaven. Citizens of his kingdom. And let me say this to you today. Hear me loud and clear. Our hope is never to be found in Washington and Wellington. Enough already. Your hope as believers is never to be found in presidents or prime ministers. Never. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in the king of kings. And I want to tell you, you need to resist what the world is trying to do. The world is trying to divide. It's trying to pull you down as Christians to divide us down into whether we're in the left box or the right box. To which one do you belong? Listen, my salvation is not dependent on what party I voted for. It's not. We've got to stop this. People say, to which side do you belong? I've already decided to whom I belong. I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm a citizen of heaven. Because I want to tell you, I, I, I want to tell you, the only kingdom that's going to remain in this world is the kingdom that is not of this world. That's the only one. Kings come, kings go. Here today, gone tomorrow. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our allegiance is to Christ. And our kingdom has a different culture, a different way of doing life. It's a kingdom that says you must love your enemies. Oh man, that's hard, right? When you've got people who hate you or you've got people who despise you, it's hard. But it's a different kingdom. We're called to a different life. We're not called to do what the world does. We're called to live different. It's a kingdom where we're told to love our enemies. It's a kingdom where we're told if you want to be first, you've got to be last. It's a kingdom where you're told if you want to lead, pick up a towel and wash somebody's feet. It's a different kingdom. It has a different culture. Stop letting the world pull you down. 
and name you off and tag you and label you as you must be this or you must be that. No, we're citizens of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And to him we will give all glory, honor, and praise. And as a son and a daughter of that king, we worship him and give him all glory and give him all praise. Kings come, kings go. Our hope is found in a sovereign king. Not just a king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's to that kingdom we belong. And so as I end today, I want to end with this question. Who is on the throne of your life? Who is on the throne of your heart? Theologian and author J.L. Packer said this, where Christ does not rule, sin does. What rules you? Who rules you? T.Z. Ku, a Chinese believer, a speaker in the early 19th century said this. He said, the kingdom of God does not exist because of our effort It exists because God reigns. Our part is to enter this kingdom and bring our life under His sovereign will. Who is on the throne of your life? Who is on the throne of your heart? The Bible talks about the fact that He knocks. Would you open the door? Who leads you? Who directs you? Social media? What the government thinks? What, what leads you? Does His Word, which is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path? Or do we sway like the wind, tossed and turned? What or who leads you? Only you can answer that question. Is he on the throne of your life? Have you come to that place where we suddenly, before I surrender all, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus I surrender, I surrender all. I have nothing I can bring. I just submit to my king. I surrender all. My family, my life, my kids, my job, my plans, my money, my desires, my dreams. I surrender all to you today, King Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you're on the throne, get off it. If you're on the throne of your heart, get off it. The Bible says this is a temple. God wants to dwell in the temple. Get off the throne of your life and allow King Jesus to lead it.
Would you stand and bow your heads? Today we come to you, King Jesus, knowing that you are a sovereign God. Today we say we surrender all. Even as a group, as a, as a church today, I mean, God, there might be areas of our life where we haven't handed over to you. We're, we're still doing our thing. We've given you this area or that area. We surrender it all to you today. You be sovereign God over every single life here today. We give our lives to you. We say, I surrender all today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Would you put your hands out like this as I pronounce a blessing over you? Again, this is not just a nice little ditty at the end of a service. These are ancient words found in the Holy Scripture and are spoken to generations and to you today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Amen.